Shri Gauri Vaishnav Guru Parampara ki jai, Shri Sirara Govinda ki jai, Kaur Bhaktivinda ki jai, Kaur Premanande. Morning. I stay today. What's the, you have some outing for today? Some mountain climbing or something? Okay. Yeah, that should be guys. Good. Good. So any question this morning? Identify with what? Identify. With the rules. Rules. With some rules. Rules. Or I've given the example uh, before that the realm of karma is we could we could compare it I should say to negative numbers um, negative one negative two negative zero or negative three negative four like that um, the idea being that in the pursuit of material acquisition in the name of progressing becoming more having more and thereby thinking that I will be more that being derives from having it's a mistaken idea in this pursuit we actually rather than ending up in a plus we end up in a minus so for example I've also given at times the example if you borrow money from the bank to say buy a house and you get a mortgage and maybe the house costs you know so many what are they called? Shlotis hmm? 100 shlotis um, but, but then when you sign the paper you owe you know 500 shlotis over you know so many years so it looks like you um, you gained but if you read the fine print you, you actually owe more so the karmic realm is something like this. We take from the environment and then we, we're, we owe. Hmm? So 
we're in negative numbers. Then Gyanmarg, the path of knowledge, that's the path of karma, the path of knowledge is like coming to zero. Hmm? You don't take, you don't owe. And so zero is positive in comparison to negative numbers. But the beautiful and profound question that Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asks, and he asks the question to persons who are stunned by zero, it's so profound. The zero is so positive in comparison to negative numbers that many philosophers and mystics just stop there. Hmm? But Chaitanya Mahaprabhu asks, are there any positive numbers? That's very peculiar and very very thoughtful and very bold. Um, And the answer, of course, is yes. And so when you have positive numbers, maybe I used this example the other day, you have positive numbers and you have negative numbers. What's the difference between positive numbers and negative numbers? What's the difference between negative one and positive one? No, no, I don't mean like, I don't mean mathematically the difference. Both are ones. There's a negative one and a positive one. So the difference is the negative or the positive. But the one is the same. Negative two is the same number as negative one, but there's a sign that says one is negative and one is positive. So the idea is that, that, that beyond zero, there is another world. Do you want a spiritual life? Yes. Well, you already know what life is. You have a, you have a negative life now, so you need a positive life. That means you need family, friends, all these things that are part of life. For spiritual life really to be life, as far as we, we know it. We really believe, as human beings, in the unbelievable. I was speaking about this a little bit last night. That's really what we believe in. We believe in the unbelievable. And we, and we celebrate the moments that are, un, that are unbelievable. Like someone, like I said, he, he jumps one ten-thousandth of an inch of a centimeter higher than somebody else, and it's put down in the record book, and it's published all over the news and celebrated. It's the unbelievable. He's gone, she's gone beyond what we thought was possible. Hmm? And this is what we live for. This is what is most celebrated in the society. Those things where people go against the apparent constraints of the world, um, the meanness of the world, and do something very kind. Hmm? And it has a profound and lasting effect. The Gandhis of the world and, uh, and, and so forth. Hmm? This is what we really believe in, inherently. We believe in the unbelievable. It's odd, then, that when we talk about a spiritual world, that, that sometimes people 
feel it's unbelievable. <laughs> when they, actually they believe in the unbelievable and live for it. Hmm? Um, we're just taking it to a, a greater measure, to a greater uh, extreme in one sense. Um, I think I mentioned the other day that some people now they they they, they maybe they want to believe in spirituality but but not a god, not a personal god, something like that. But in all the great traditions, there's a personal god, even if he is a provisional god. Like in Advaita Vedanta, the Ishwar is provisional. It's thought that you meditate on on the form of God and then you go beyond the form. Hmm? But in Advaita Vedanta, the form of God is not something that you meditate on that is provisional in one sense, is not provisional in an absolute sense that you can choose anything arbitrarily to be the focus of your meditation and get the same result. Hmm? Um, Advaita Vedanta, another example is Ishwar is intricately involved in the whole unfolding of, of, of the natural world from, from its psychic dimension to its physical dimension. Um, so there's a psychic dimension in Advaita Vedanta and in, in Buddhism, like uh, Tibetan Buddhism in particular, that's very um, important. But there's no, if there's no mind stuff, there's no reincarnation in Buddhism. And in this subtle realm of matter, as posited by the Advaitins and by the Buddhists who are thought to be less or non-theistic, there's all kinds of gods and goddesses in that, in that world, and ghosts, goblins, and, and paranormal things hmm, that are not believable hmm, to some people, even when people actually believe in the unbelievable and live for it. It's a peculiar uh, reality. So it's good to bring these points up to make our unbelievable Christian Leela more believable. <laughs> um, uh, but we want, as human beings, something more than the limits, really, of uh, of the physical and even the mental afford us. We want something more. And when the Shastra comes and says, there's something more and it's like this, they say, I don't know if I can believe in that. Hmm? So it's a question of understanding the underlying uh, philosophy, for example, of the Leela. Hmm? And um, so, anyway, my point is that there are positive numbers. That's what I mean by Leela. There's movement in transcendence, just like there's movement in this world, but it's all going up the down escalator. Do you, you follow? If you try to go up the escalator that's going down, you make the movements, but you don't go up. You go down. Hmm? So, so, that trying to go up the down escalator again, that's the realm of, of karma. Um, Gyan is the negative, is, is the positive zero, and then we have the positive numbers of Leela, where there's also movement. 
there's some philosophers reason and they reason fairly well that if we were satisfied we wouldn't move therefore the state of self fulfillment must be a stillness which is again the, the polar opposite of the movement in the karmic realm we're always busy we owe so off to work we go that's our predicament so why do you move? Because you have desires and wants, and so we're moving accordingly. So if you don't have any wants, then you must be full, then you should be still. So there's some good logic to that. This is the Buddhist idea, an Advaitin idea. But the Vaishnavas, especially Chaitanya Vaishnavas, they make the point that that there's another kind of movement that is not out of incompleteness, but when one is actually complete or full, then there's a kind of movement that constitutes the celebration of that fullness. Hmm? Celebrating the fullness. This is lila, then. Movement out of fullness that has no purpose, that it, no necessity that drives it, that it has to accomplish because it's feeling some lacking, but no, out of fullness, it is overflowing and celebrating. And this can take the shape also of compassion, and so the world and the avatar and so on and so forth. So our doctrine is one in which, if you understand it properly, there has to be lila. There has to be movement in transcendence. And for there to be movement and, and interaction, reciprocal dealings, which love uh, is all about, then there has to be some oneness with Bhagawan, our source, and some difference also. Hmm? This is our teaching. So, in the world of positive numbers, then you find something that on its surface looks like the world of negative numbers. Hey, the same number is there, it's one. But look closely, one has a minus sign in front of it and one has a plus sign in front of it, and that's a huge difference. Hmm? But one, minus one, and plus one look much more similar than either plus and minus one look to zero. Zero looks very different from plus or minus one. Plus one looks like minus one. So, in, in, in Gita and in all of our books, there is some emphasis on, on, on zero, but they don't stop there. Hmm? In other words, the books do emphasize that attachment is the source of suffering. Hmm? They do emphasize that the corollary of knowledge is detachment. Hmm? And the corollary of attachment, conversely, is ignorance. Hmm? Um, they acknowledge that you know, we don't own anything, we cannot keep anything. This is gyan. The more we push on this gyan, the more um, bleak life, family life, 
love interactions become. Hmm? Um, so it's a cancellation of the negative of attachment. Hmm? So we make that point, but we don't, the Bhagavad school doesn't stop there. And therefore, in the Bhakti Marg, in Gyan Marg, one advances by Bairagya. Do you know what Bairagya means? Anandini. It means detachment. The detachment that you were talking about. Detached from your family and so forth. And the Gita talks about this kind of thing. So in Gyanmarg, we advance by detachment. Detachment fosters knowledge. Knowledge fosters detachment. Hmm? So they, they complement one another. But in Bhakti Marg, detachment, vairagya, is not a limb of the body of Uttam Bhakti. That's peculiar. Hmm? Remember, attachment to things that are temporary, that is uh, not wise. Hmm? So, but, but, but detachment is not a limb of bhakti. Then how do we advance in bhakti if not by detachment? Well, by curiously, we advance by attachment. So what? <laughs> we advance by attachment. But attachment to Krishna, attachment to Krishna's devotees, attachment to those things that are favorable, pleasing to Krishna, and so forth. And if some things are not favorable for Krishna, which is hard to find because you can turn almost anything into, into being favorable for Krishna, <laughs> but if there are some, then, then we, we're not interested in that. You could call that detachment, but I call it love. Do you understand? If I love you, and I do, and there's something, something that you don't like, then I might not be interested in that. Hmm? I might give it up. Oh, you don't, she doesn't like it. Oh, I'm not interested in that. So that may look like detachment, but if you look more fully at the picture, it's part of love. Hmm? So there's a kind of vairagya in bhakti, Rupa Goswami, is called yukta vairagya. Hmm? And it's, it, it's based on being yukta or linked with attachment to Krishna, Krishna's devotees, and so forth and so on, um, to Mahaprasadam and, uh, and all. Mm-hmm. If you come to the temple of the Vaishnavas and someone offers you Mahaprasad, and you say, no, I'm fasting, mm-hmm. then that becomes aparad, becomes against bhakti. Mm-hmm. Fasting might be good, not talking might be good. I gave you that example the other day of the man who never spoke and he had a little, a little chalkboard that he would write on and the devotee said, our guru said it's better, better than not talking is to only talk about Krishna. They were right, but then he wrote on there, is that what you do? And they knew, no, we, don't. we talk about all kinds of things. So. Um, but they were right. And they should have said, no, but our guru does, so you should come to our guru. Hmm? Um, so, 
in, a, in effect, uh, as I said the other day, talking about Krishna, chanting Hare Krishna, is the sound of silence. Hmm? It's the sound of silence, to be kind of Zen about it. Hmm? Hmm? In other words, <laughs> we, we are talking, we're vibrating our tongue for the pleasure of an illusory self. Hmm? So we would better be silent and dissolve that illusory self if we want to arrive at reality. But we find that reality has sound, has taste, has form, has movement that's different than the semblance, the shadow of it that we find here. I mean, we can make a case for detachment for vairagya, knowledge, and so forth. But I believe that there's a reasonable argument that one could raise against the Gyanmarg. The Gyanmarg says, love, for example, it's just an illusion. It's just attachment. Hmm? Therefore, you should give it up. I believe that someone could make the argument, it, it, it may not be real, it may only be in name only, and it may only come for a moment and go, and, but I'd rather have some than nothing. I'd rather have a, a trace of it than nothing. Um, it's, an, it's an argument for staying in material existence, despite the fact that it may be an illusion. I'd rather have some movement and some hope of love than just peace. Hmm? I'd rather a minute of love than, than an eternity of peace without love. Do you understand? Hmm? So someone could make the argument. Of course, the bhakti school comes in and says, yes, good point. Good point. Hmm? The world is moving for love, for rasa. That's what it's moving about in pursuit of and it exists hmm? we simply have to repose our pursuit of love in the perfect object of love and that is Krishna hmm? and now a whole world is assembled accordingly and therefore there's Sakya there's Dasya there's Vatsalya there's Madhurya and these are the forces that govern the world really of our present experience hmm? We may think something, you know, gravity runs the world and other such forces, but um, even the scientist in the laboratory, if he gets a phone call, your daughter is, is sick, and he'll immediately put it down and run for his vatsalya. It's driving all of us. So, so in bhakti marg, then, as I say, we advance by attachment. And, and there are so many stories, right, of uh, great saints being attached to one another. And in fact, uh, Ramananda Roy told Mahaprabhu, answering his question, what is the most uh, painful thing? He said, separation from uh, devotees. That's the most painful thing. Hmm. So, so there's a... Uh, if you... If you study the Gita fully, comprehensively, and you see that its teaching is an Anya Bhakti, 
you see that it's very, very friendly and and indeed you can have friends in Bhakti. In Gyanmarg, you can't have any friends. You're taught that all individuality is illusion and in, in, in reality, there's just one pulsating eternal existence that is like going to sleep or getting an anesthetic anesthetic like no suffering you're just out Hmm. (laughs) Uh, it's not a very attractive idea Hmm. and it, it doesn't have much to do with what our experience uh, of life is about. We have experience. We experience life as if we are an agent of action. We have will. We make determinations in our head, and then we carry them out with our body. We're causal. We have causal efficacy. We're we're a doer. We have qualitative experiences that are rich. Hmm. Um, we, we are an, a knowing entity. We're not inert and unknowing. Hmm? This is how we experience ourselves. And Chaitanya Bhakti says, yeah, and that's what you're like. You are a doer. You are a qualitative experiencer. You, you are a knower. Hmm? But now these aspects of yourself are only coming out in relation to the Maya Shakti, the material environment. Hmm? You just change the environment to the bhakti environment and you are just like you thought you were. Hmm? That's why in Bhagavatam, when Krishna rescued Nanda Maharaj from Varuna and Varuna, Nanda Maharaj came back and said, wow, you know, Varuna was there and he was paying obeisances to Krishna and Balaram, you know, and Om Namo Bhagavate Tubhyam Paramatmane. He, he, he said, You are Brahman, you are Paramatma, you are Bhagavan. Nandamar is telling the story. And so they, the other members of the community thought, well, Krishna, yeah, he's very special. And he has some special knowledge by the grace of Narayan. So let's ask him what our next life will be like. And so Krishna showed them, it'll be the same. <laughs> and they said, oh, good. Our cows will be there? Okay. Our friends will be there? Hmm? Very good. Hmm? So this is, this is the, the teaching. It's very, very friendly. Hmm? <laughs> very positive, I should say. And very much like, the, the, the ideal is very much like our present experience. Hmm? We are tatasta. So we are just in between, and we have certain inherent um, elements that make up our constitution, and they are such that the environment that we are in touch with, material or spiritual, will activate them, and then we will be all that we can be in relation to that environment. So we need the spiritual environment, we need a devotional environment, and then then the more that devotional environment is truly devotional, the more our attachment to one another will be a cause of our progress rather than our, our bondage. Grihete goloko bhai, Bhaktivinoda said. 
I saw my house turn into Goloka Vrindavan. Hmm? So it's possible. Hmm? But that's a high idea also. So um, you have to create the, so to speak, or invite the spiritual environment and, um, and there's a place then for attachment to devotees. And, and, and there's also a place um, as a devotee. D- devotees are not world-denying. In Gyanmarg, the world is denied to one extent or another. Shankar denies it altogether, that it even exists. But uh, other nuanced forms of, of Gyan may not deny the existence of the world, but they're world-denying nonetheless. They're saying the world, participation in it, interaction with matter is, creates an illusory existence and it's problematic. Hmm? They're world-denying. Karma seeks to exploit the world. Gyan seeks to, seeks to run away from the world. Hmm? Um, but bhakti embraces the world rather than running away from the world, but in embracing the world, it doesn't take from the world. So it embraces, it steps back from the world for a moment. There's just a stepping back for a moment to be objective. Because if I'm too attached subjectively to a thing, I can't see it objectively for what it is. So there's an element of knowledge, uh, an an aspect of, there's knowledge to bhakti. Hmm? So the knowledge aspect of bhakti causes a step back for a moment and see that everything belongs to Bhagwan, not to me. When I see that everything belongs to someone else, then I don't think of trying to steal it for myself. Hmm? If you owner knowledge of the ownership of something should cause within you the absence of the desire to, to take it. Hmm? So the whole karmic problem is that we're taking because there's a sense that, implicit sense, in our illusory existence that I'm the center. Things are for me. I see the world like, like how it works for me. And me is an illusory I. Hmm? Um, so step back from that for a moment and look. And what do we look and see? Everything belongs to Krishna. Now you don't have to leave the world. You also belong to Krishna, so you can live in it in that, in that way. Hmm? And you can teach that, and you can be the best in your field. Hmm? You can be the best. If you're a doctor, you can be the best doctor. If you're a linguist, you can be the best linguist. If you're a, an attorney, you can be the best uh, a, attorney. If it's martial arts, whatever it is you do, you teach, whatever, you you, 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 you be the best in that. And... Uh, and and it's fully like there's a scope for full worldly participation. Bhaktivinoda was a good example. He was a magistrate. He was fully participant in the world. And at the same time, he was able to turn the world of his influence into a glorification of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So... Um, that is the power of, of, of bhakti. Again, we said last night, love has the power to turn faults into, into, into ornaments, right? So, um, 
you see also many devotees, they uh, aren't, you know, living on a mountaintop, clothed only in ashes, like Lord Shiva or something like that. Hmm? What did Uddhava say? Hmm? You have the Nagababas and followers of uh, these type of tyagis and so forth, and they, they dress only in ashes, like Lord Shiva, wear the long hair. They're actually kind of mean, some of them, <laughs> a lot of them. And, and, and Uddhava in the Bhagavatam, what did he say? He said, our vairagya is this. We, we, I only wear the, 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 the vestments of Krishna. Krishna was the prince in, in Dwarka and Mathura, right? So he had real fine, nice clothes. Hmm? And when he got tired of, tired of an outfit, then it would be, a, we say in English, a hand-me-down. Hmm? You hand it down, so you don't want it anymore. Somebody says, I'll take it. Okay. So Uddhava said, I just wear the leftover clothes of Krishna. Hmm? He's dressed like a prince. Those are fine vestments, fine, beautiful garments, silk, embroidered with jewels and so forth. And somebody else is wearing ashes. And so people go, this guy wearing ashes, he must be spiritual. And this guy is wearing diamonds, he must be material. Hmm? But you have to look closely at Uddhava's idea. He says, I only wear what my master uh, gives me to wear. Hmm? I have a master, and therefore I'm a servant of someone. Hmm? To be the servant of someone is much harder than not taking from someone. If I don't take from anybody, that's one thing. But if I have to serve somebody, that's another thing. Do you understand? That requires much more on your part. If I say, okay, if I can't have it, okay, then I'll just sit and do nothing. Hmm? But if I learn no, everything belongs to somebody else and, and you too, and you're a servant, I've got to move again. I want to just not have to move, not have to work. Hmm? So the example of Uddhava is a greater example, actually, of detachment and a remedy to the taking tendency within us. How will, it's one thing to say, here's a problem. You're a thief. Now you have to stop stealing. So I put you in a jail. So you, there's nothing to steal. Okay. But still you have to learn how to live in the world and not take. That requires a little bit more. So bhakti is a greater approach, solution, more comprehensive solution to the problem. I've given the example before that if you, if you wanted to take all your attachments and dig a big hole and put them in the hole and then cover the hole up, that might be one way to get rid of them. But still something might come up in time and grow up. But if you put all your attachments in a hole and then you fill it up and then you build a temple on it, do kirtan, it's a, nothing going to grow up there. Something like that. So 
Um, bhakti is very um, positive in that way. And, it, it, and, and, and for example, you, you, you ask as a householder, you have family and children and so forth and so, so on. Um, bhakti is the only school amongst the uh, forms of uh, Vedanta that, um, uh, that has a place for householders to participate in. If you want to do yoga, Ashtanga yoga, read the Yoga Sutras. You have to be celibate, right? Bhagavad Gita teaches Ashtanga yoga also in the sixth chapter. It says you have to be celibate to do it. Tell that to the yoga community. Ashtanga yoga is very popular. Then you go and tell them, well, if you want to do it right according to the sutras, you have to be celibate. It's the end of the yoga party. Gyanmarg uh, also. At Brahmacharya is, is, is a limb of, of the Gyanmarg. So, um, whereas bhakti, you can be householder. And someone says, yeah, because bhakti is for the weak people. No, because bhakti is more powerful than yoga and jnana. That's why. So it, 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 it's not going to be, it's independent. It, it requires no, nothing else on your part than faith. Every path requires some faith in order to proceed on the path, but some paths require faith and a few other things. Hmm? Like jnana requires a pure heart. Otherwise you can't sit because you'll have desires. Hmm? But kirtan doesn't require a pure heart and there's no better means to cleanse the heart than kirtan. Hmm? So even if you're inattentive in kirtan, still there's, there's effect. The effect will be that the heart becomes cleansed so that you can sit and you can be attentive when doing japa, which is a form of Smarnam, hmm? or meditation. So, no, bhakti has, is, is much more comprehensive, if you will, of an approach to the problem. Neither is it, is it world-denying or love-denying or anything of the sort, but then you have to be, you know, really a devotee. Um, and you're trying to do that, and you're making progress, so... That's good, but um, it's important that we not abuse this, you know, I- idea and think I'm a devotee and therefore, you know, I don't have to do anything and um, yeah, um, all my attachments are fine and and, <laughs> and so forth. Um, but as a mother, you should be the best mother and and love your children, take care of them, teach them about Krishna by your example. Hmm? That that's the best thing that you could possibly do. Every, every parent, want, devotee parent, would like to teach their children to be devotees, right? So you can teach them the Bhagavad Gita, you can teach them this, you can teach that. But the best thing you can do is to teach yourself and be a devotee, <laughs> because they're going to follow your example um, one way or another. If you're a devotee in word only, hmm, but they can see oh, you're. You taught me this, but I see you do that. And then then, it, then they're going to not listen to that. If you are a devotee, they may not listen to you at some point. But at the end they will. They'll come back to it, I think. 
No, she was right, yeah. Mom, she said this and she did this and and see, I can see it's true now. Hmm? So, um, you try to raise your children as devotees and, and also uh, know that the best way to do that is to be a good devotee yourself and be a little, you have to give them a little room hmm, to make mistakes. Hmm? Like you've made mistakes, so you have to give your children room to make make mistakes. Hmm? And um, they'll love you for that. Hmm? And if they love you and you're a devotee, then, then Krishna will love them too. So it's a beautiful uh, method. If you want Krishna to love your children, become a devotee. And if you, if you like your children then, and, you, and, and, and Krishna likes you, then Krishna will like your children and your friends and so forth. So it's a very a beautiful uh, idea and very profound very comprehensive. Hmm? The more we change ourselves to become lovers rather than takers, the more Krishna becomes interested in us, in us and even in the things that we're still attached to. Hmm? Devotees, there, there is a stage where devotees will be attached. Krishna acknowledges it in the Bhagavatam, in the 11th canto. Hmm? And he doesn't say, he's not a big thing for him. They love me. When it's all said and done, I'm the one they're interested in. They have some peripheral interest in the thing, but yeah, that will go away. By the power of their love for me in time. Especially if they take good advice, good association, and so forth. So your reading of the Gita has to be comprehensive. And then... Uh, you put the, the 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 emphasis of gyan in some sections there in perspective. Hmm? You don't want to go to zero. You want to go into the positive numbers. Does that help? Yep. Okay. Yes. Uh huh. <laughs> he wears a garland made of five different flowers. It's called a Bijayanti garland. Five different flowers, but they're not available in Poland. <laughs> <laughs> So, if you can find if you can find five different ones from Poland, and offer it to him, he will be very happy to accept the Polish version. But that is a garland that he, that he's that he, he's famous for wearing. But he also wears other garlands. Made out of different flowers in Vrindavan. But again, they don't grow here, so. What do they look They look like flowers. <laughs> <laughs> They're very beautiful. 
Yes. Within Sambandanuga, Sambandarupa, Rag Bhakti, that's presided over by Balram, you have the Vatsalya, Sakya, and the Dasya. If someone is for example, in the Balabhasampradaya, where there's a big window of opportunity to experience Vatsalya Rasa, then it's not necessarily the case that Balaram will be the, the Ishtadevata of all of those uh, Pushtimarg. Um, um, devotees. Hmm? Um, for example, uh, uh, also hmm, Madhisoda is, is attached to Krishna. Hmm? She's in Vatsali Rasa. Hmm? She's attached to Balaram too, but, but um, it's not necessarily the case that the presiding deity, in the sense that we read about, will be the Ishta, so to speak. I mean, for example, also, you can have Madhurya Rasa, and 
um, Radharani may not be in the picture. That's also found in Balabhasampradaya. Hmm? Not prominently like in our Sampradaya. In our Sampradaya, the Madhurya Rasa that is emphasized is Tadbhav, where you become attached to the bhava of a leading lady in Vrindavan, and the leading lady is, is Radharani. So to become the handmaiden of Radha, that's a particular kind of Madhurya Rasa. There's other types of Madhurya Rasa, like Chandravali's uh, Madhurya Rasa, where she is a competitor of Radharani, and she has some bog with Krishna. Hmm? I mean, some bog means she enjoys a union with Krishna, rather than serving another gopi that has union with Krishna. It's important to note here that even the sambhog, the gopis who have direct union with Krishna, are completely selfless. Hmm? And in samartharati. Hmm? Um, just as an aside. So there are different forms of madhurya rasa that um, in which for example in the in, in sambhog sambhogicha Mai to have desired, be filled with a desire for union, where Radharani would not be uh, necessarily uh, in the picture. Hmm. So, beyond that, you we want you ask about Prabhupada, and Prabhupada expressed that he was in Sakurasa, and um, and he but he established deities of Radha and Krishna around the world. He did that, yes, and he also established deities of, of Gornatai, perhaps even more so, which was different. Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur didn't, didn't do that. He established deities of Radha, Krishna, and Chaitanya Mahaprabhu. So Pujapad Sridhamarsh reasoned because of being empowered by Balaram and because of his Sakyarasa, um, he established deities of Gornatai all over the world. And because his service and preaching was like that of Nityananda Prabhu as well, preaching to the people who didn't have any background and, um, and so forth. Um, but yes, he also established uh, deities of, of Radha and Krishna. So it's not that someone in Sambandarupa Bhakti, in Vatsalya or in Dasya or in Sakya, has nothing to do with Radha and Krishna. You cannot live in Vrindavan and have nothing to do with Radha and Krishna. Radha and Krishna's love is the center of Vrindavan. Yeah, Balaram is the best friend of Krishna, as we've heard. But um, he's, uh, in his own way, committed to it. And we see it, particularly when he appears in Gorlila, to serving in the context of his own reality, emotional reality, the central uh, um, focus of the whole drama of Krishna Lila. It's all about the union of Radha and Krishna. Now, when we say that the Lila is all about the union of Radha and Krishna, hmm, in order for that union to take place, it cannot take place without other elements. Without the Sakis, hmm? Krishna Rasa is explaining, he really means without the Manjaris, the most intimate 
um, union of Radha and Krishna cannot take place. Hmm? And there can be no parakya if there's no vatsalya. Hmm? Do you understand? A, 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 a mother and a father don't want their son to run off with some girl before they're grown up and there's a proper marriage and so on and so forth. So Vatsalya plays a big role in the parakya. Sakya also plays a, a role in, in the parakya. And especially the, the form of Sakya that is influenced by Madhurya. Hmm? Um, and we see from things that Prabhupada has written, it's apparent that he, his Sakya Rasa is, is of that nature. And so... Um, uh, even amongst the Dwarasa Gopals, we find in their temples sometimes deities of Radha and Krishna hmm, as well. So it's not a, a separate uh, fair. Uh, Prabhupada, of course, on his central altar in his home of Vrindavan, established the deities very prominently of Krishna and Balaram. Hmm, and the pose of Krishna and Balaram that they're appearing in that came from his samadhi. Hmm? So he dictated how they would stand and, and what it means. And uh, Balaram is resting on Krishna. Krishna is more powerful than, than Balaram, something like that, among other things. So, um, so obviously for all persons in Sakyarasa, there's an attraction for Krishna and Balaram. Hmm? But um, um, it's not they have no interest in Radha and Krishna. And again, the, the fullest form of the Sakya Rasa is influenced by Madhurya Rasa in such a way that the, those Sakas, those cowards, they participate in the Madhurya Rasa with Krishna. Their love for Krishna is purely Sakya Rasa, but they have a desire to taste the love of the gopis, not in some bog, not in union with Krishna, but to taste the same way, in a similar way that the manjaris taste, tadbhav. This is the type of interest that they have. And as such, they are afforded experience of the plight of their object of love. Krishna is the object of their love and he has a plight that he's he, he wants to win Radharani's favor and it's not always easy to get. Hmm? Hmm? And so when he can't get it and he's feeling the separation and you've got a friend and and he's depressed then you want to say, well, what's wrong with you? Why do you feel depressed? Hmm? And Subal came upon Krishna and he was depressed. And he said, friend, what's wrong? Get up. Why are you feeling sad? Hmm? Oh, I saw a girl. I saw a girl. And there's no... And he came attracted... There's no, there's no chance that I could, could win her favor. Hmm? 
and Subal he could understand hmm? and uh, tell me something about her. Krishna says a few things, then Subal understood he's from that side, from Radharani's side of Vrindavan, hmm? from the left side of Krishna. Hmm? He could understand, so this is then for the first time. Subal he chanted into Krishna's ear Radhe Radhe hmm? then Krishna's depression went away hmm? and so come I can make make the arrangement hmm? I can help you in this way so there they they get some experience hmm? through identifying with the with the with the Madhurya Bhav in that way like Radha on his handmaidens, they identify with the Bhava of Radha. So whatever Radha feels hmm, in relation to Krishna, they also have some experience of that. Hmm. So they want to be, these coward boys, they want to be equipped hmm, with some experience that will give rise to empathy. Do you understand? Hmm. So that they could be there for their friend in the time of his greatest need, something like that. Hmm? And so, what this is an example of is two rasas that are compatible with one another mixing. So you, you have Madhurya rasa and Sakya rasa, they are compatible. Madhurya rasa and Vatsalya rasa are not compatible. Madhurya rasa and Dasya rasa, they're not compatible. It's very simple to understand. It sounds technical, but, but if you're um, married and have kids, you love your kids in parental love, but you can't mix it with romantic love, right? That doesn't work. Hmm? If you have a teacher and you are the servant of the teacher hmm, in Dasya, you can't mix that with Madhurya or you, you might go to jail for that. <laughs> you understand? So this is one thing that when we talk about these rasas and you give these odd Sanskrit names and so forth, just, you, the way to break it down and make it really understandable is to look at the human reality. Hmm? Because it's a, it's a shadow of that reality, so you can get some understanding, from, some feeling for it. Now, you could be a friend and also have some friendly love for someone, also some parental love at the same time. Um, even even a a um, well, an older brother. Hmm? You have you might have friends that are older than you that are friends, but they also look out for you. Hmm, like Balaram, yeah. So it's possible to mix in this way, Vatsalya and Sakya, and also with Dasya. Hmm. But you cannot be a friend and be the lover. When they see a couple, they say, oh, you two look like a good couple. They say, no, we're just friends. <laughs> We're only friends. We're just friends. That's all. There's nothing else going on here. Nothing like that. So, so 
Madhuri rasa and Sakya rasa cannot mix in the way that Sakya could mix with Vatsalya or could mix with Dasya. But this is a different kind of mixture. Rupa Goswami describes it as, a, Rupa Goswami used the word Mishra, which means mix. So the, it's, it's a mix of Madhurya and, and Sakya, which are com- compatible. Hmm? They're Rasas, in a sense. Um, but they mix in such a way that the Stahibhav, for example, the dominant defining emotion of the cowherd in this example, um, Sakya, hmm, is mixed with Madhurya, and the Madhurya acts as a Sanchari hmm, to, to augment the Sakya, and it takes it to new heights of intimacy with Krishna that exceeds the intimacy of Vatsalya rasa, and even that of some, some forms of Madhurya rasa up to what's called Ruda Mahabhav. But it's Ruda Mahabhav, Mahabhav in Sakirasa, hmm? influenced by Madhurya Rasa. Hmm? Jiva Goswami explains it in two ways. Like that, uh, in, in the southern section of Bhakti Rasamrita Sindhu, and then in the, I guess the, would be the western section, the mixing of Rasas. He explains it as an Angi Rasa and an Anga Rasa. So... Angi means the body, Anga means the limb. So the whole purpose of the Anga Rasa, which in this case would be Madhurya, the Angi being Sakya, the whole purpose of the, the Angi, Anga Rasa is to enhance the Angi Rasa. Hmm. So this is how some of Krishna's friends are uh, in Sakibhav, Rupa Goswami says. They're purely friends hmm, of Krishna. But they have some connection with some some admixture of of Madhurya that in, that it enables them to be a friend above and beyond the other ways in which Krishna's friends um, serve him. Hmm? Therefore, at, at midday in the pastimes of Krishna, the fifteenth chapter of the Bhagavatam, tenth canto, is all about Sakirasa. This is, there are other, a couple other chapters like the Brahma Vimohan Leela 12, 13, 14, but even 15 is, is more. It begins with Krishna's Poganda Leela, the age that itself is a vibhav for Sakyarasa, an excitement for Sakyarasa. And it begins with Krishna glorifying Balaram. Balaram's the leader of the Sakyarasa. That's a fact. Hmm? Uh, and for so many verses, Krishna's praising Balaram and saying, just see how the trees in Vrindavan, they look like they're weighted down by their fruits, but they're actually bowing down to touch the feet of Balaram. He's so glorious and so forth. So many verses like this. Hmm? And... In one sense, what's happening in this chapter is, one, Krishna is placing emphasis on Balaram as the, as the, I, the great example of Sakyarasa. He's the best friend of Krishna. Even though he is not a Priyanarama, 
and doesn't have a, a direct involvement in the leelas, the romantic leelas. You see, he cannot have direct involvement in the romantic leelas because he's a brother. He's the brother. Hmm? And he's an older brother. Hmm? So Krishna has different kinds of friends for that. Hmm? So what's happening in the chapter is, in one sense, is, is Krishna's establishing who, who the, the Balaram is his best friend. He is the the both the an object of love for those in Sakirasa and the example of Sakirasa, hmm? because he serves Krishna in Sakirasa. Hmm? Um, just like you have Radha, is the is the object of love and the example of love hmm? um, on our side of uh, you know type of Madhurya Rasa in Gaudiya Vaishnavism. Although, but she is Shakti Tattva. Hmm? So, but Balaram is Vishnu Tattva. So he's God, hmm? uh, and the and the an object of of love, the, 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 the Vishaya Lambana. Hmm? But as the Vishaya Lambana, the object of love in Sakirasa, he's also the example of love, almost like, like a Shakti. Hmm? So he is the personification of Sakirasa. Hmm? Um, so anyway, in the chapter, Krishna's... Uh, showcasing Balaram, and it's done in, also in humor, in 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 in, in Hasyarasa, hmm? and and he gets to a certain point in the glorification of Balaram, where Balaram has become so central in the context of Krishna's humor and whatnot and glorification of him, that he feels now I can make my move. Because I've got a rendezvous with the gopis. And not everybody can come with me. Hmm? Only certain friends can come with me for this. And the rest are going to have to stay behind with Balaram. So I made this big glorification of Balaram. (laughs) And then I said, excuse me for a minute. uh, But I've got to do something else. I'll be right back. Hmm? Stay here with Balaram. It was yeah, Balaram. <laughs> okay, yeah, so Krishna will say every day he's got a different excuse. <laughs> he's, got a, he's got a different reason. Vishnu Chakravarti gives a nice example. He said such and such uh, astrologer has come to town. I heard this morning, and I I've, I've really got a desire to go and you know meet this famous astrologer. Everybody goes yeah, great idea. Mm-hmm. So the thing is, though, we can't all go there. <laughs> it just wouldn't be appropriate. So I'm just going to take, you guys stay with Balarama, I'll take a couple others, and, and we'll, we'll be right back. We'll tell you what happened. Something like that. So, and then off they go. And if you, if you study the commentaries, then you can see this one verse where Krishna makes the break in the hidden language of the verse from leaving everyone, others with Balaram and taking this, those, those suckas who are empathetic and sympathetic and hmm, have a 
influence of Madhurya with them and they go to Shamkund hmm, and Radhakund. Hmm. And they all have uh, gopis also who are leading figures in their lives in terms of the Madhurya aspect uh, influence in their sakya. Hmm? Yeah, it's complicated, but <laughs> it's very beautiful, very charming. So, so, um, so, in a sense, um, <laughs> uh, for the for the Priyanarma Krishna Balaram are the Ishtadevata, but Radha and Krishna as well. Therefore, it's said the Priyanarma has a Yuteshwar and Yuteshwari. Yuta means group. Ishwar means leader. So when you enter into the Leela of Krishna, then you're going to come under a group leader. Like if you go in Madhurya Rasa, means you're going to go and become a handmaiden of Radha. That's the kind of Madhurya Rasa that our Sampradaya gives. The best kind. And, and then you're going to come under the leadership of Lalita Saki. So she's a Yuteshwari, a special kind of Yuteshwari she happens to be, because although she's qualified to be a group leader, which would mean to have direct union with Krishna and have her own manjaris, she, out of love for Radha, she subordinates herself to Radha. Hmm? So she's a group leader within the group of Radha. Hmm? And Rupa Manjari is under her guidance and so forth. So in Sakirasa, then there are group leaders like Subal, Sridam, this one, that one. Hmm? So when, when Gopu Kumar in Brihad Bhagavatamrita came into Vrindavan and got his go- cowherd form, he already had one, but, <laughs> but he got his name Sarupa. Hmm? And so he was trying to find his way around a little bit. It's all new to him, hmm? somewhat. Uh, he had meditated on it, but now it's happening. Hmm? It's like if you, in, 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 a, in America, in football, they, have, they take uh, players from college. So if you become good in college football, then you can graduate to the professional team, Right? Probably have something similar in soccer here. Anyway, so then they, then they they have a draft. So they draft them, and then they join the team. But then they kind of got to sit on the bench and learn. And then one day you're you're up, and then they're out there. And it's the professional world moves faster than the college world, and it's similar, but there's things to learn at the same time. Hmm? So sadhana bhakti is like that. In, 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 in Bhava, then one's getting uh, uh, like like playing college football, something like that, and then and he, uh, and then he gets on the bench, and then his number is called, and so Gopakumar is entering into the into the aprakat lila, the unmanifest lila, and he doesn't know everything. People say, if you don't know who is your father, who is your mother, who is this, and how can you go, you have to get all these things. Well, he went there and he found out when he got there. Hmm? Actually. So he, Krishna said, come home with me. So it was the end of the day. He appeared at the end of the day. Hmm? At the, after 
after all the coward boys come back with Krishna from Radhakun, Shamakun, they all get together. They call all the cows. Krishna's got a mala made of jewels, and he's calling all the different groups of cows, 108 groups. Hmm? Calling in them. And when he calls in them, they all come. Everybody's here. They take roll count. Make sure everybody's here. And now we go back to the village. Hmm? And everybody in the village waiting for them to return. Hmm. <laughs> so, hmm. what was that? Hmm? Yeah. So he appeared at this time and Krishna took him to his home. Hmm? And um, they had a sleepover. Hmm? Then in morning it was breakfast time. So Radharani has come to cook and Mother Yasoda and Rohini serving everybody and and Krishna takes the ladu cooked by Radharani and he tastes it, he goes, Ugh, uh, who cooked this? And Sarup goes, oh, What happened? And everybody said, looking, what happened? And then and then Mother Yasoda looks at Radharani like, What? What did you do? Hmm? Then Krishna says to Sarup, here, you take this. So Sarup takes it and eats it, and it's delicious. (laughs) It's absolutely delicious. And then he understands. Oh, Krishna was playing a joke, and in the joke he was teaching me, tonight you will go home to Radharani's side. Hmm? Vishabhanu's Maharaj's side. Your, your, your family is over there. In other words, he said, he's saying implicitly, you're from the family of Radharani. She cooked this, you eat it. <laughs> hmm? So he learned like, ah, so, so. this is how the siksha is uh, given <laughs> in, in the Leela. <laughs> so, so, <laughs> So he was from that side, anyway. And, he, and he's a Priyanarmasaka. Hmm? So it's a very beautiful uh, thing. Uh, and, uh, and even later in Brihad Bhagavatamrita also, it's told by Sarupa, Ms. Gopa, he said, he, he, he tells his student, the Mathura Brahman, who he's teaching and telling his whole story of how he became Sarupa and entered the Leela. Hmm? And he's appearing in Vrindavan, in the, in the manifest Vrindavan, Boma Vrindavan, teaching him. You know the story. So he says, actually, how I came here to teach you, how I'm appearing here in this grove in Vrindavan, is because Radharani called me hmm, and told me that there's a devotee who uh, I want you to go and bring to me. Hmm? And he said... And that would mean, if I was to follow her order, that I would not go cowherding with Krishna that day. But I knew that if Radharani was pleased with me, that Krishna would be more pleased than if anything else I did. So I happily embraced the order of Radharani, and I've appeared here hmm, directly on her uh, command, and I'm teaching you all these things. Hmm? And at that point, he embraced him 
Jana Sharma, his student, and he also became a Saka. Hmm? So Radharani recruited. Hmm? She's doing some recruiting for Sakirasa. Hmm? <laughs> for this kind of Sakirasa, it's required. <laughs> These kind of helpers uh, is, to make the whole thing work, it's, it's all required. So, all good. Hmm? Does that help? Yeah, interesting. Okay, what is the time? Okay, so we stop there. Sri Sri Radagobinda ki jai, Krishna Balaram ki jai, Gaur Nityananda ki jai, Guru Vaishnava Guru Parampara ki jai, Gaur Bhaktivinda ki jai, Gaur Premananda ki